So we're in the book of Acts, living in victory no matter what we are facing. And how do we do that? By faith in Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit's power. That's what the book of Acts is all about, right? And boy, do we need that, right? And the title for today is, Are We Dumb Enough to Be Used by God? You heard it right. Are We Dumb Enough to Be Used by God? Acts 9, 1 to 19. And last week we talked about divine appointments. Remember we talked about the divine appointments? And I was talking to Terry. Terry, come on up here. I was talking to Terry yesterday, and she was talking about a divine appointment I thought you would find very encouraging. thought it would be a good way to start this one off. So come on up. Yes, uh, divine appointments. Uh, all of you who have been walking with the Lord, I'm sure, have had divine appointments. Um, and yesterday, I mean, I'm sorry, Friday, which is first Friday, and uh, that is a day that uh, I send out an email to all pro-life uh, church leaders and pro-life supporters to come out and pray at Planned Parenthood in Warminster. Um, while we were there praying, there was a woman who drove her car to the end of the driveway going into Lewis Drive to turn, but she stopped And there were three women that were near her car, and she rolled down her window and was heard to say, I don't know if I want to do this. And so the women uh, urged her to park across the street in a parking lot so that she could uh, have some counseling, you know. Uh, So I ran across the street myself and spoke to a gentleman by the name of Patrick Stanton. He is one of the pro-life leaders in southeast Pennsylvania, and I told him, what she had said. So he went over to her car, and um, there were women that were just praying and counseling. So we were all praying. There was about 20 of us praying. And uh, as it turned out, uh, she was from Venezuela. She was Venezuelan. And Pat, Pat knew a doctor, an OBGYN, who was Venezuelan, who was pro-life, of course. And so uh, he dialed up the doctor, and uh, Anna was her name, talked with her. And so this divine appointment, and we all said this afterwards, this was a divine appointment because Pat, if Pat had not been there, we we would not have had that connection. We would have not known about that connection that he had with this doctor. So uh, the upshot of it is she chose life for her baby, and I just want to read... The email that I got from Pat uh, a few hours after this divine appointment, and he said, Dr. D'Elia, and that's the Venezuelan doctor, met with Anna today, going to have the baby, save on first Friday. So uh, this is just one of many, and I just want to give you a little bit of uh, information about 40 Days for Life, and every first Friday. Friday is the day they do surgical abortions at Warminster Planned Parenthood. Since um, 2007, there have been 19,322 babies' lives who have been saved, whose mothers chose life. Now, these, what we know of, there are many women who do not even keep their appointments when we're there praying. There are many women who turn around and do the same thing that Anna did without speaking with anyone. There were 222 workers who quit uh, that we know of, that walked out of Planned Parenthood. Uh, 114 abortion centers have closed. 
108 babies just since we started this campaign of 40 Days for Life on September 22nd. Their lives have been saved that we know of. So I want to thank everyone here who's been supportive of coming out and praying on 40 Days for Life or the first Friday, especially Pastor. And uh, you've made, there is such an impact. You will have, we will have no idea till we get to heaven. The impact of our prayers the impact of our intercession to for these mothers to choose life for their baby. So I just want to thank everyone. All the many times we've been out there praying, and even if it was just one, just this one, what if we were out there for 10 years and just one was saved? It'd be worth it. But we know many, many others. But that's just a divine appointment, a divine appointment. Uh, faithfully praying, faithfully out there offering help, showing the love of Jesus Christ as baby saved. And so often the mothers are also saved, too. After the baby is saved, uh, get the moms connected with a good church, and they put their faith in Christ. They're saved spiritually. Um, divine appointments, divine appointments. That's what we've been talking about. That's what we talked about last week, and we're going to hit another one today. We're going to see another divine appointment today in Acts chapter 9 with some very important lessons for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this beautiful divine appointment that a baby's alive because of faithful prayers and faithful ministry. And I know there have been so many divine appointments for us Throughout this week, people sharing different things going on, and, and our eyes are starting to open to these, Lord. Just pray that each one of us, our hearts would be touched by your Holy Spirit now. And if anybody here has never put their faith in Jesus, anybody listening to this, watching this, has never put their faith in Jesus, that this would be their divine appointment today, this Communion Sunday. They would give their life to Jesus. I pray that in his name. Amen. Okay, so let's read this wild passage here. Acts chapter 9, verse, start with verse 1. Saul's conversion. <clears throat> Saul's conversion, call and conversion, really. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing, so they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. 
And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Wow. Saul's call and conversion and baptism. Notice that? We keep stressing that. Salvation, baptism, boom, boom, boom. Uh, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for the ice to form on the river? Talk to me, all right? It's only going to get higher and colder, all right? So, so we, here we find this terrorist, Saul. He was a terrorist, persecuting Christians. The first time we saw him was back when, what happened? Stephen, right? The stoning of Stephen. That's the first time we saw him. And we we see him here again. And this time he's traveling to Damascus to terrorize Christians. And he sees a bright light, bright light, some of you, bright light, right? But different from the gremlins. The gremlins were these nice creatures and the bright light turned them into monsters. But Saul was already a monster and the bright light turns him into something better. All right. It's the opposite of the gremlins, right? And he was physically blinded, blinded physically, which was really a picture of his true Condition already spiritually, he was already blind. God often would do this. He would, he would blind somebody, but they already were blind. He was just physically giving a physical picture of what was already going on. And notice this, that God, he already saw Stephen martyred, and that didn't have an impact on him, right? He saw Stephen pray faithfully and die faithfully, but it took this bright light. He had to be knocked off of his high horse, right? And God knows exactly what it takes to reach us, to save us, to sanctify us, to get us to do something he's calling us to do, to get our full attention, to break us. God knows exactly what it takes. And it's something different from everyone, right? God has lots of tools in his toolbox, right? And he knows what it takes to to reach us. And God calls a very unlikely person to be saved and to serve him he calls a what a terrorist right a terrorist he calls this terrorist and this is a couple of things that just really jump out at us that first of all that god can save anyone god can save anyone first corinthians 6 9 to 11 uh, you probably most of you have this memorized do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor uh, uh, male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor the slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Were. God can change anybody. He can save and change 
anyone. He can save us. He can save anyone. That's what some of us were. That's <laughs> what we all were. We could add to that list, couldn't we? we? That's what we were. But then God not only can save everyone, but he can transform everyone. Look what it says. That is what some of you were, but you were washed You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. That's what we were washed. We were sanctified, set apart. We were justified just as if we never sinned. That's what God did to us. God can transform anyone. And after he saves us and transforms us, what this passage here in Acts shows us is that God can use anyone, anyone for his purposes anybody god called the least last person you would have expected right if you could have picked anybody out of the bible so book of acts so far that god's going to use to reach the gentiles who would you pick lots of people but the one person you wouldn't have picked was saul who we saw murdering Stephen and on the, on the hit job on Stephen, right? He's in the mob. That's the last person we would have expected to be. To be. You, you could imagine people saying, you know, God saved who? We're going to see this in the rest of the book of Acts. God saved who? God called who? I know there were some people who, who were shocked when uh, I shocked some folks when God called me into ministry. Chucky's going into ministry. Yeah, I'm sure I shocked some people. Not like Saul. He's the, yeah, but but I'm shocked. Shock, we always it's always a shock, right? God can save and change and use anyone. But sometimes we don't really believe that, do we? Look what Ananias said. And Ananias said, look, let's read what he said again. Verse 10. And this is really funny when you really think about this, right? Uh, in, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord call, called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. So far, so good. Yes, Lord, right? The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man praying named Ananias. That's you, Ananias, right? Uh, come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. So helpful. So helpful. It's so good to Ananias let God know all this because God had no idea. (laughs) This had to be a shock to God. That, that, you know, because God only knows some things, not all things, right? What was Ananias' real issue here? He was too smart. He was too smart. He knew that Paul could never become saved. He'll never become a Christian. That's the problem with most of us, isn't it? Not everyone. You got Terry and Chuck and different people. You know, Josh Todd. Yeah, yeah. But most of us, we're, we're, we're too smart to be useful to God. We know who has the potential to become a Christian and who doesn't have that potential, right? And so we, we only witness to the people that we think we have a good chance of becoming a Christian. Now, we don't come out and say that, do we? But we're thinking it deep down. We see some of the, you know, I'm not going to talk to that person about God. I'll invite this one to church, but not that one. 
Nobody here, but you might know someone like that, right? We, we, and look what God tells smart Ananias in verse 15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, go. there's an exclamation point in Greek. It's, it's like, boom, go. Who are you talking to, Ananias? Right? Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings. I will, uh, and, and before the people of Israel, I will show him how much, how much he must suffer for my name. He, he, Saul, he says, go. Saul, who later became Paul, was God's chosen instrument. He was called by God to be a witness, a powerful, powerful witness. And not only to witness, but to suffer for Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? <laughs> uh, we all like to be saved. Raise your hand who wants to be saved, you know. But they never, you know, Billy Graham never said, and now who wants to be saved and suffer for Jesus? I never heard that altar call. Anybody ever hear that altar call? But it's there. It's there. Suffering comes with salvation. And, and suffering is how, what God uses to reach other people with the gospel. And, and did Saul ever do both, right? Wait till we read the rest of the book of Acts and say the rest. He did both. He was a powerful witness and he suffered in terrible ways. Terrible ways. But because of that, God was able to reach people through him. And God calls us to do the same. Second Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. It's going to happen. And if we're not ever persecuted, I'm not saying we're all, well, who knows what's going to happen in our country yet. But, you know, it's not like, you know... Afghanistan yet, uh, right? But, but if we never face any persecution, guess what we've never done? We've never lived a godly life in Christ Jesus. That's a fact. Take it up with Paul. Don't take it up with me. Are we willing to suffer in order to share the gospel? And it's crazy what's going on. And we're starting to see this in the USA too, but we're, we're seeing this all over the world. If you read... Uh, open door ministries or you read voice of the martyrs and i hope you're following these it's crazy i see stories of these these muslim guys that that we've never heard of probably never will hear of until we get to heaven but you see these stories of here's a muslim guy who hates christians he has a vision he has a vision from from jesus he accepts christ it's still happening starts to witness has a powerful witness and then gets thrown into to prison and is tortured and, and all kinds. Many of them are killed, but, but they have these power. They're like a bunch of apostle Pauls out there. And we never even, we don't even know about it, but the Holy Spirit knows he's working powerfully in these areas where they don't have the Bible. It's there. They're still experiencing the book of Acts. And we just might be experiencing that. Sooner than we think, <laughs> sooner than we hope, we should all be hoping for it, right? But it's hard to vote for your own persecution, isn't it? But anyway, it's hard to do that. We will see that Saul, unlike Ananias, Saul would tell anyone, wait till we go through the, record, the book of Acts, he would tell anyone he was dumb enough to really be used by God. 1 Corinthians 9, 22 and 23, where he says, To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things 
to all men so that I might save some. All things to all men. He, he'll tell anybody. It's, why would Saul, Paul, tell anybody? Why would he be dumb enough to do that? Probably because he knew that God saved him. And if God could save Saul, God could save anyone. That's what he was talking about in 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16, where he says this, uh, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Paul knew he was the worst. And he knew why God saved him. So everybody could see that God could save anybody. Listen, the next Billy Graham might be out there right now beating up Christians. Might be out there rioting and burning stuff. The next Billy Graham. Are we dumb enough to be used by God? Are we dumb enough? Are, or are we too smart to be useful to God? Are we, we, he can't use us to witness because we're just too smart. We can figure it out. and we don't, we don't witness to everybody, just those we figure. Or not just witnessing, but are we too smart? God could be anything. God calls us to do stuff all the time. That just, witnessing is just one thing. Many, many things God calls us to do. And, and, and so often we don't do it. Nobody here, but you probably know someone who hasn't done something God's called them to do. How many times, right? We look back and like, why didn't I do that? And and it's because we we talk ourselves out of it. We think we're talking God out of it, but we're really talking who out of it? Ourselves out of it, right? We we're, we're too smart to be used by God. Now, luckily for me, usually I'm pretty stupid. I've, I've made I've left a lot of a lot of regrets out there. Don't get me wrong, but luckily for me, I'm pretty stupid. Uh, I'm, I'm typically stupid, so I used to say, "Amen, amen." I know what you're saying, all right? That's how I got 14 kids, all right? 14 kids. I remember God leading Kim and I to leave it in God's hands. And we were wrestling. We were like, we already got three kids. That's enough. You know, we were wrestling with that. And God just kept leading us to leave it, the kids, in his hands. You talk about dumb, right? Dumb. We had three kids. I remember there was all this pressure. People were like, it's enough. That's enough. We go into the restaurant and somebody say, don't you know you're destroying the planet? You know, and I'm like, yeah, no, we're paying for your social security. Who's going to pay for your, I would tell them, who's going to pay for your social security? Not your 1.6 children, you know? And, uh, and so, uh, but, but, you know, but every, everyone was pressuring us. You know, we had four and it was like, are you crazy? That's enough. Everyone. But what if we had stopped? What if we had stopped after Ryan, Matthew, Megan? Megan, that would have been wonderful, right? Megan, Megan, like, that would have been good, right? Uh, no Josh. Off doing ministry. No Nate. No Sarah. Rebecca, go right down the line. What would we have missed? What would we have missed out on? All the way down the line. If we hadn't trusted God on that. Yes, being dumb, a lot of people think we're crazy, yes. Yes, being dumb has sure come in handy for me, especially in ministry. 
Uh, the inner city ministry. Remember, I, we talked about the inner city ministry. I was thinking about this with this one and, and how God was leading us to do this inner city ministry in Connecticut, in Bridgeport. And it was crazy because it was just crazy. Uh, I, I don't know anything about inner city. I grew up on a farm. I know cows. Moo. I don't know anything about the inner city. If I even got into where there's a, st- a stoplight, I would lock my door, you know, lock the door because, you know, there's a stoplight. There must be people around, right? And uh, it's just, you know, scary. But I remember when God started to lead us, Kim and I and different uh, people in our church was leading us to, to start this ministry. And we inherited this van load of kids from a Christian school. And they said, would you mind taking it? And we took it and it became uh, two vans and then three vans. And then it became a, a Greyhound bus. We had this old Greyhound bus with a million miles on it at the church. We just piled 70 kids. This is before you had seatbelts and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just pile the kids. They would be in the, ra- the racks, not getting, getting in the racks above. It was crazy. And, uh, and we, then it was the, the bus and a couple of vans following it. And it, it was just crazy crazy uh it would just it but we knew i it was crazy but i just knew god had called us to do this but i was dumb i didn't know what i was doing i remember going down to pick up the kids on saturday we would have basketball in the gym we had a gym and i'd pick up kids at the, the go down to the the, the projects and uh, pick the kids up, a van load of kids to come back for basketball. They love basketball. It was a great opening. And, and I remember the one time going down to pick them up Saturday morning to bring them back for basketball. And one of the kids forgot his sneakers. And he said, oh, I got to go get my basketball sneakers. Okay, so he got out and I got out. And I was with my youth leader, Jay, one of my youth leaders there. And he was a former gang member, so he, he, cut, he knew the ropes around here. And, and, I, and I was sitting there, and, and while we're waiting for this kid to come out with sneakers, I see another little kid near there, about like seven or eight years old. And I smiled at him. Then I waved at him. But he wasn't being very friendly. And I was like, hmm, that's strange. And, and Jay goes to me, what are you doing? I go, I'm looking at this kid. I'm going to invite him to play basketball. Don't look at him. I go, why? He goes, he's a drug lookout. Look behind him. And I look behind him, and there's a big group of guys there, you know, staring past this kid at us. Like with, with, they, weren't, they weren't smiling either. They looked very, very angry. I go, <gasps> he goes, that's a drug deal. And he's the lookout. And you're, you're, you're getting, you're, I go, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? He goes, they're trying to figure out, are you an, under, an undercover cop? Or are you just stupid? I go, tell him I'm stupid. Tell him I'm stupid. And, I, and as I'm saying, I'm saying, tell him I'm stupid. Tell him. And I looked out, and one, one of the dads who we were picking up the kids, I saw him lean out and give a, like a signal to the guy. Say, stupid's with us. He's okay. You know? And, uh, and uh, I remember just dumb. Didn't know what I was doing. But, but kids' lives were being changed. Busloads and busloads. It was crazy crazy what was going on and then mischief night you know mischief night where i grew up people you know took soap and and, and put on somebody's windows right and and uh, or if they got really crazy they'd use wax on the windows you know it was really crazy right but so i went down to pick the kids up on mischief night and i should have known i mean drop them off it was after youth group it was wednesday night and it happened to be wednesday mischief and i was after youth group and uh, I was driving them home, and they were telling me, well, let's go this other way. Let's go the back ways. And I didn't know it, but they took me the back ways to, their, to, the, to the, the projects to drop them off. And I dropped them off, but after I dropped them off, I didn't know how to go those back ways, so I went to the main street and started driving back on mischief night. Once again, mischief night, maybe there's an egg, right? I remember pulling out in the street, and it looked like, gla- it looked like ice on the street. The street looked like it was ice, but it wasn't cold enough to be ice. But it was just glittering. I'm like, what in the world? I'm driving along, and I, all of a sudden I realize I'm driving on broken glass. 
There was so much broken glass on the main street all the way down your yellow brick road. This was the broken glass road, right? And it was just glass that I'm driving. And I remember pulling up to the stoplight and, and I'm here and there's a policeman sitting over here, but he wasn't going through like he was just kind of sitting on the curb coming this way. And I remember pulling up to the stoplight and all of a sudden I hear things ricocheting off my van, eggs, bottles, who knows, nuts and bolts. It was crazy. It was like being in a tank in World War Two, you know, the World War Two movies. I felt like I was in a tank and, and I looked over at the policeman like, aren't you going to do something? And I remember he looked back at me like, if you're dumb enough to stop, you deserve what you're getting. You know, I'm like. Oh, I'm getting it. He just like gave me one of these. I'm like, so I just hit the gas and I just went down the main street and, and through lights, red, green, yellow. I didn't care. I just booked it down the street, never stopped. And meanwhile, stuff's flying. It was crazy, crazy. I didn't, I was too dumb to know any better. And we kept on going back down there. And, and, and kids got saved. And you know the stories I told recently about Juan and Rick and these different guys getting saved. It, it, was, it was crazy. I was dumb. I still am. I, I still can't figure out who is going to become a Christian and who doesn't. So I'm always casting hooks. Some of you have got my hooks before, you know. I remember Sean at the baseball games, right? I'm constantly throwing out hooks about church or youth group. or It's all innocent and innocuous, but I'm, 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 I'm fishing. I'm constantly fishing. And some of you out there are probably listening and saying, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, I'm constantly fishing, throwing something out to, to get people to have some spiritual conversation that would lead to Jesus. Constantly fishing. And some people don't bite this. You know what you do with fishing? They're not biting, uh, they're not biting this. So you, you put on the worm. That doesn't work. You have a hot dog. You have a piece of corn. You're constantly throwing something different out because we're, we're, we're constantly fishing. And, and I, I, I don't know anybody. I'll, I'll, I'll fish anywhere. I remember when we came to New Hope and, and I found out about the AIDS house in New Hope. And there, there's an AIDS house. And I remember finding out about it. And there was a little crack in the, you know, I could get in and, and, and meet people. And the first person I met there was Lanal. Lanell. I remember meeting Lanell. And he was desperate for God. A lot of people don't realize, but he was just waiting. Waiting. He had visited how many churches, right? Over the years, and they always rejected him. They saw him right away and knew he wasn't a Christian, and they knew where he was coming from, and they just rejected him. He was just waiting. Talk about cherry picking. I just had to lead him right. He prayed right, right away to put his faith in Christ. He was just looking for God. It was crazy. And, and uh, then he was saved and baptized. It was at his baptism, right? It was at baptism. And then he started uh, in the Delaware River there. And the next thing I know, he started inviting everybody else to the AIDS house. And the next thing you knew, the whole AIDS house was coming to church. Remember that? The whole group was coming to church and they all started becoming Christians and, and, and getting baptized. And, and then it, it panicked the director of, of the, the person who oversaw that at the time. I remember when she called me, she just said, I'm just going to make sure Linnell and these people are really welcome at your church. Are they really welcome? I'm like, oh, yeah. She goes, because, you know, he is black. I'm like, well, yeah, I, I, I did notice that. I did notice that. <laughs> 
And I remember saying to her, I don't care if he's purple. I'm thrilled he's coming to our church. And then she goes, and then she goes, but you know, he is gay too, you know. And, uh, and I said, not anymore. (laughs) Not anymore. That's what he was. But he was washed, sanctified, justified. I remember telling her that. And she didn't like that. She didn't like that. She goes, well, no, he still is. I go, well, let me ask you something. You know, Linnell was also a drug addict. Is he still a drug addict? Oh, no, he stopped using drugs. Okay, guess what? He stopped using homosexual sin. And she didn't like that. But 20 years, 20 years, you know, 20 years later, he lived pure for 20 years. He was, he was free. And finally, a new group leader, but we still had this working relationship. And finally, a new group leader took over and uh, told this guy told the people in that group as people uh, moved out. Some moved, some died uh, because of having the AIDS. You know, it was really sad, but we saw a good number of them die. Some moved, uh, transitioned out. But but over time, a new group came in and a new group leader came in. And he he told the group when he found out what was going on at our church, he said, stay away from that church and that guy. Stay away. And people stopped coming. And in time, there was a wall up. And, and they, you know, and I talked to the guy, well, why are you telling people to stay away from our church? He goes, I'm telling them that you're going to try to change them. I go, you better believe I'm going to try to change them. The Holy Spirit... When they find, meet Jesus, he's going to change them, just like he's already changed so many of them. You better believe it. Yeah, it, and it's the sexual sin, and it wasn't just homosexuality. There was Half of them there were heterosexuals, and heterosexual sin. God wants it to free them, and then the homosexuals, and then the, the drug addicts, because many people were there because of drugs. They, they got AIDS through their drug use. God wants to free them all and transform them all and change all of us. That's what we were, right? And uh, and and and, but they they blocked it. And, and over time, we have been, have a ministry there, just like the book of Acts, which we're going to see. The, the constantly going to see them trying to block Paul's ministry all throughout the book of Acts. But people were saved and transformed. And finally, our last connection to that was Linnell passing away this year. But what a blessing he was to us, right? You don't have to be smart. And this is my point. You don't have to be smart to be used by God. In fact, it's probably better if you're not. Because when we are, we think we're so smart, we, we mess things up, don't we? It's better if we're not smart because that way you won't, we won't mess things up by being so smart. You know what I'm talking about? 1 Corinthians 1, 17 to 18, where Paul says, for, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. When we're too smart, we add on to the gospel, and it drains the power of it. It's simple. Kiss, keep it simple, stupid, right? Simple. All we have to be able to do is share the gospel and how the gospel has changed us. That's it. Why do I always end with John 3.16? Because that's all, that's, if you only have one verse, that's all you need to share the gospel. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's all it takes. And maybe you're here today or maybe you're listening to this today or watching this today and, and you have been too smart for God. You have been too smart to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've resisted that because you're too smart. But maybe the Holy Spirit is calling you, just like Saul, who became Paul. Maybe the Holy Spirit is calling you, breaking you, reaching you, humbling you, calling you to come on your knees to the cross of Jesus Christ right now. That's what communion is all about. As we go to this communion, it's all about remembering the cross, coming to the cross. If you've never done that, coming to the cross. And if we've already come to the cross, remembering the cross of Jesus Christ. In Luke 22, it says, the Last Supper, Luke 22, verse 19, and he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you, Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And that's what we remember. That's what we remember when we come to to communion. We're remembering that that Jesus gave his body, which the, the, the bread represents, and Jesus gave his blood, which the cup represents. And we're remembering that he died for our sins and paid for our sins so that we, if we put our faith in Jesus, we can have eternal life. Giving our life to Jesus, we can have eternal life. That's what we're remembering. And how we take it in just a few moments, I'm going to pray, and then Todd's going to come and lead us into communion. But uh, it, it, we just we, we have the little cup. You have the cup. Hopefully you got it on the way in or you can get it at any point. And we do. We just, after the song and prayer, we take it. Um, the only reason why we shouldn't take it is if we haven't put our faith in Jesus yet, don't take it. But, hey, today's the day. This could be your divine appointment. This is the day. But if not, it's okay. Nobody looks around. Nobody. It's between you and God. The second reason why we shouldn't take it is if there's something in our life that God is calling us to do. Something to give up in our life. Something that we're holding back on. Some area of disobedience. Make it right before you take the cup. Whatever it is, make it right. Make it right before you take the cup. But once again, everyone can do both of those things. But that's between you and God. We're not judging any. That's between you and God. Let's, Let's go to prayer. How is God speaking to us this morning? Maybe here and you've never put your faith in Jesus. You've never, you've been too smart to do it, but you're realizing you've got to come to that cross on your knees, humbled before God. The Holy Spirit is calling you. The Holy Spirit is using events in your life to bring you to your knees. You're realizing that you are blind spiritually just like Saul was. But the scales can fall from your eyes by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Just like Saul did. The prayer of faith, God, I repent of my sin. I turn away from my sin. I ask you to forgive me for Anything I've done in my life that goes against your word and your will, your purpose for my life. 
I repent. Please forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in Jesus. My trust in Jesus, his death on that cross, his resurrection from the dead. I'm putting my faith in him to give me new life in Jesus. If you have prayed that prayer of faith and something incredible has happened, just like Saul had the scales fall from his eyes, scales have fallen from your heart. You have a brand new heart because the Holy Spirit is living in you. You have a brand new life because the power of Jesus is in you. You can now commune with God anytime, not just this morning, but Anytime you can talk to God, commune with him, connect with the, our Father through his son, Jesus. And this morning's communion is just the first time you're going to get to enjoy that. And if you have to, taken that step of faith, I want to encourage you to tell somebody. Let me know on the way out or tell a family member or friend or commit to telling somebody ASAP so that we can encourage you spiritually. For the rest of us, how is God speaking to us as we go to this time of communion? What is God calling us to do? Maybe it's getting rid of something in our life that's holding us back. Maybe it's a sin or a stronghold. Maybe it's a step of obedience. He's calling us to do something. To live out something. A step of faith. Maybe it's sharing our faith. We'll commit to being a fisherman. (laughs) Start throwing that line out. Father, we thank you for this time of communion, that we have this time with you. We can connect with you. But, Lord, there's so many who don't have that. And I just pray that you, we would be obedient to fulfilling our purpose, to reaching people for Jesus, to impacting our world for Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name.